Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gillespie in there, and he was one of the Giants' hottest hitters the final homestand of the year. Crawford at second. Panic at first. A high drive in the right center field. Going back is Bruce. Still going back. Adios! Pelota! Connor Gillespie with a three-run homer in the top of the ninth to give the Giants the lead. And they are stunned in the big city. And perhaps the most anonymous of all the Giants' starters has delivered their biggest hit of the year. One out away from the Giants moving on. There's a drive into right center field. On the run is Span. He's calling for it. He's got it. Madison Bumgarner pitches a shutout. The Giants are moving on. They beat the Mets three to nothing. And they're headed to Wrigley Field in what should be a fascinating series between the Giants and the Cubs. One guy very famous did what he was supposed to do. And one guy not so famous ends up being one of the heroes. I guess you could say Saturday, October the 8th. If you want to listen to the show all the time, you can go to MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, or whatever podcasting service you desire. So, as promised, we were going to do a post-mortem recap if the Mets lost. We would have done a, a Thursday preview game if the Mets had won, and the Mets did not win. And here we are, and, and it brings us to the off-season coverage, really, of the Talking Mets podcast. Hope everybody's doing well here on uh, this weekend. Um, I think it's Columbus Day on Monday, right? So maybe some of you have a long weekend. John Delcos of the New York Mets Report will be joining me in just a bit. We're going to do the postmortem. John does some great work over at uh, the New York Mets Report. He's covered the Mets for a while. Longtime uh, Mets beat reporter. And uh, looking forward to talking to him again. I think we spoke sometime probably over the summer as uh, the Mets were heading into the run. So I haven't had a chance to talk to John, who was uh, you know, pretty critical of the Mets, uh, agreed with most of what he said, and uh, pretty critical of Ioannis Cespedes, and that'll be a big topic in a little bit. But let me set the show up here and um, 
Look, I'm not going to get into the game. There's really nothing much left to get into. It's been about three days. I'm sure everybody's kind of moved past it. The NLDS is already in full swing. you got some teams in the American League that could clinch in, in their next game. you got a couple of 2-0 leads in that series. It's, it's amazing because the way that the postseason goes, you really have a week in a lot. Each of these series lasts about a week. So you build them up, you get in. You know, as soon as you get settled, they're over. But with the wild card game, it truly is almost like you've been invited to the postseason party. You get in the door, you take your jacket off, and you get kicked out. That's what it really happened. So as quick as the Mets were in the postseason, at this time last week, the Mets were clinching. They were getting to the postseason. We had a show on Thursday. Here we are. It's over. The party's over. The Mets are on the outside looking in. And they got beat by a great starting pitcher, by a team that has a lot of experience, that has won three World Series. So 10, 12, 14. That's a, that's a feat in this day and age. I don't think the season is a disappointment. I know we had a little bit of debate on that last week on the show. It would have been really a real cherry on top to get into the NLDS and make the Cubs a little uncomfortable, which the Giants did yesterday. But this was a disjointed Mets team that played well down the stretch. It was admirable that they got into the postseason, but they weren't built really well roster construction-wise. They needed Wilmer Flores. They didn't have him. They really needed... Uh, it would have been very hard to navigate a postseason series with Gazelman and Lugo as your number two and number three. I mean, you're asking a lot out of those guys. And the reason they were able to win last year is they basically were able to go out and give a number one effort every night with the starting pitching. And they only were able to do that with Noah Syndergaard. And here, look, what you saw in that postseason matchup is really where the next step has to happen for a Syndergaard and a DeGrom uh, and Harvey, I mean, Matt still has a little bit of ways to go here, is to give you the nine innings. Basically, the Mets lost because the Giants had a great pitcher that could go nine innings, and Syndergaard could only go seven. Maybe he had another inning out of him, but I thought he was done after the seventh. There is nothing, and I don't want to get into that debate, and I'll start off with the familiar situation. You guys want to spend the winter on talk radio or, you know, with a narrative about how, well, Familia can't get a big out. That game was managed exactly how it should be managed. I can't criticize Collins. There's a lot I could criticize Collins for throughout the 2016 baseball season. How he managed the wild card game is not one of those things. Maybe you could talk about the, the, the management team putting Loney in instead of Duda. Duda wasn't really – he's got a back injury. You don't know what you were going to get out of him. He couldn't play back-to-back. So – there is nothing about this game that I want to complain about other than they got beat. That's what happened. You got beat. And let me start with Familia. For those of you who say, well, now, Familia, and I heard Jim Duquette talk about it. I heard the conversation on the post game with Nelson Figueroa about Armando Benitez. I watched Armando Benitez. I watched Armando Benitez in Baltimore. I watched him extensively with the Mets. And Jerry's Familia is not Armando Benitez. Jerry's Familia gave him one home run all regular season. He gave him one home run in a postseason, and he came in, and you knew the minute he came into this game, he was off. And I don't think that had anything to do with the fact that it was a postseason game. He was off, because I've watched him all year, and I know when he's off. When he can't get his sinker down, and they're spitting on it, because it's clear to them that that's not going to be a strike, he's a very hittable. Because then you're looking at a guy who's going to throw a 96-mile-an-hour fastball down the middle, and anybody can hit that. Jury's Familia saved Two games against the Dodgers in Dodger Stadium. One of them a six-out save. 
He saved every game against the Cubs in the NLDS last year. A couple of those in Wrigley Field against a very good offense. And then if you really want to go to the World Series, there was one blown save. And that was a tough one, that game one with Alex Gordon, where he quick, quick pitched him. He tried something. He got out of the standard pitching. He quick pitched him, and he hung something. So he made a mistake. That's not choking. That's a mistake. That's an execution thing. You want to talk about the other blown saves? He, he should have been in for a two-out save in game four. We've talked about it on this program. Again, Every series, sometimes you get beat. The Mets were beat Wednesday. The Mets blew the 2015 World Series, and the manager had a lot to do with it. I'll stand by that till I go to my grave. So he, he, brought, he was brought in after the Murphy era for a mess. It's very hard to get out of a mess when you're a closer and you come in. You should just you want to make your own mess and get out of it? That's one thing. That's a mess that he got brought into. Game five, that save was blown just as much by David Wright as it was by Familia. Familia got the ground ball with the runner on third and one out that it, every other competent third baseman holds the runner, throws the first. But you have a third baseman, and this will be a theme next year, that can't play third baseman because he can't throw. So he looks the runners back, lollipops the throw over, and then you ask Lucas Duda in a split second to turn around and make a quick throw, and he made a bad throw, even though he had more time. So there was a lot of panic there. The blown save in game five is as much David Wright's blown save as his familia. So to have this narrative, well, now he can't pitch in October. He was able to pitch in Dodger Stadium. You think that's an easy place? I've had a former player tell me Dodger Stadium is one of the nastiest places to play. The fans are nasty out there, believe it or not. I, I would have thought Wrigley. I would have thought maybe Fenway Park, maybe New York, Yankee Stadium. No. L.A. And he, and he, and he got the save. So – I know Joel Sherman talked about bringing in all this Chapman and things like that, and that all sounds good to Phil Print. That's not going to happen. And that would be a great move, and then you move Familia to the 8th and Reed to the 7th, and maybe then you can have Sal to the 6th, and you got yourself pretty much uh, a bullpen of closers there. But let's talk in reality. There's no reason why the offseason should be spent beating up Jerry's Familia. He had 51 saves. I've seen him pitch in big spots at Wrigley Field in the regular season getting out of jams against the Cubs. He has been a little bit off this year at times. I'm not sure what that's all about, but I go back to spring training where I feel as a whole, I don't know what the plan was to get these pitchers in shape for the regular season, but he has his periods where he's off it. Every closer has it. John Franco had it. And if you're going to start talking about uh, Aroldis Chapman, Andrew Miller, Mariano Rivera, those guys might be better. I mean, you're in a town where I guess everybody has to get compared to Rivera, but that's a level of efficiency and execution. That, that's why he's a Hall of Famer. We're not saying Jerry's Familia is a Hall of Famer, and you don't need a Hall of Fame closer to win a championship. Brian Wilson wasn't a great closer. He's a flash in the pan. The Giants won a World Series with him. And there were some shaky saves in that World Series. The Marlins won a World Series at Yugi Arena. He was shaky. You could win a World Series and a championship with Jerry's Familia. So let's get that on the table right now. Let's move on to the offseason here. And everything is going to revolve, as it did pretty much last offseason, as much as the Mets wanted to pretend that Ioannis Cespedes wasn't going to be on the team. It's what's going to happen with Cespedes. And I know what John comes on in a little bit. John's going to say, 
he's mercurial. You know, he doesn't always hustle. Um, you know, he, he kind of gets rubs people the wrong way. Sometimes he lollygags after a fly ball. He had a bad September. He looked awful in the postseason. I think he was hurt most of the second half. I think they mismanaged the injury in July with the quad. I think center field probably was a little bit much for him. It's a demanding position, and I think that contributed to the quad issues, covering all that ground. When I look at Cespedes and what the Mets need to do, if the Mets decide Cespedes is either priced out of their range, which could happen, it's not like you want to hand them the, the keys to the kingdom at any price. Or they decide to move in a different direction because of some of the things I just said. That They're going to have to remake the entire offense because now where are you going to get that right-handed power? You've been flirting and dating this guy now for two years. You kind of had a semi-commitment this year. Either you're going to commit to him or not. I said this on Twitter during the regular season, especially after he hit the uh, – the big home run against the Marlins to win a game. He had a home run a little few weeks earlier against the Cardinals to give them a lead, a game they would lose, but it was a big home run off of Adam Wainwright. He's as dynamic of a power presence in the middle of that lineup as Daryl Strawberry was when it comes to the big moment, as Mike Piazza was. I don't think anybody who's watched in the last two years can disagree. Now, he hasn't had that postseason moment, but you know what? Strawberry didn't have great postseasons. And Piazza wasn't all that great every postseason series either. Those are very small sample scenarios, and you need to be put in that moment. Sometimes you know, the moment doesn't come to you. You're judged over a larger, and the regular season gives you a larger sample of that stuff. So knowing that, if you let him walk, where are you going for right-handed power? Because then you've got to figure yourself out here. And it changes the whole offseason, which it, this could be a pretty tidy, clean, peripheral filling out of the roster offseason. Who else is available? I know that um, I believe it was either David Off or Sherman of the New York Post brought up Edwin Encarnacion of Toronto. 42 home runs, a very underrated power hitter. It's Edwin Encarnacion. I said that a little clunky before. He's played more games at DH this year than first base. He's also spent his career in hitter-friendly ballparks like Toronto and Cincinnati. You know Cespedes can play in New York. I don't know if this guy can. He's great. He's just as good a hitter as a Uenus Cespedes. Now he's a first baseman. You lose a little bit of the, the arm out in the outfield. So what? He's every bit the hitter. Is you know, What is he going to cost you? You think a 42 home runs in this day and age is going to come cheap with Encarnacion versus Cespedes? All right, so what? There's Jose Batista out there. Uh, Jose Batista had a down year. He's also significantly older. He's entering his late prime. He could fall off the cliff. That's a late bloomer there, guys. Another guy that has played well in Toronto. I don't know what he's going to want to do in, in New York. Is he going to be able to play in New York? Is he done? Then it really drops down after that. You have Mike Napoli, who had 30-somewhat home runs, but a little slightly above league average when you look at the whole picture. Justin Turner didn't really leave here on great terms, I can tell you that. Has some knee issues, third baseman, so that creates a problem with David Wright. Not that I, you know, I'll get to Wright later, but... Again, not the greatest fit. He's not a left fielder. He's not a first baseman. Ian Desmond's an outfielder. I know they've liked him before when he was a shortstop. Decent hitter, 20 home runs. He's not Cespedes. Right-handed bat, but it changes. There's no hub then. Now you have a lot, another component player. 
So that's it, guys. I went down the free agent list. Now, could you trade for, for players? Sure, but that's what I saw. Now, I didn't you know, spend nine days looking at this, but that's what I saw. That's a big difference. You have to sign him. Now, is everything lost if he walks? No. You can build an offense. This team is built on pitching. You have a good bullpen. You can still build a team that can compete and win a championship. Look at the Giants. You know, there's, there's, there's another Hunter Pence type op, uh, op, option out there. But I think Cespedes is a guy you need. And he should put him in left field. He's your power bat. You have Jay Bruce in right. I think Granderson can play a little bit of center. He can play a little bit of right. You got Ligaris coming back. Um, you know, the real question is, what do you do with Michael Conforto? I think Michael Conforto is going to have to get a first baseman's glove. I think you're going to probably have to seriously consider non-tendering Lucas Duda. He made almost $7 million this year. You cannot, with a guy on a back injury, pay that kind of money that he's going to get in the whole arbitration process with all the questions that Lucas Duda has, especially when you have Michael Conforto, who had a decent September with an OPS over 800. You get Conforto to play a little first. He could sub for Cespedes and left because Cespedes might need a, need a little bit more time off. I'm not saying Granderson's a great center fielder, but with him, he and Lagaris, you could probably cobble something together. You could move him to right when Bruce is, is slumping a little bit. Maybe you trade Jay Bruce. That'll be interesting. See, I would at least, because the Mets have plenty of left-handed power. You can, you can, this is where it goes back again. What are you going to, you know, what's going to happen with Cespedes? Because once you know the whole Cespedes situation, then you can figure out Jay Bruce. Do you go and you see if there's a market for Jay Bruce? You know, he played well down the stretch, didn't have a good wild card game. Nobody had a good wild card game. You've heard some things about him not necessarily being gaga over New York. So that's an option. But you have a lot of options here offensively. Free agent-wise, they should bring back Kelly Johnson. They should bring back Fernando Salas. I, you know, he made a couple million dollars. I would... I would definitely bring back Jerry Blevins unless his market gets crazy. Bartolo Colon, I don't know what he's going to want. I mean, he's a year-to-year kind of situation. I think he likes playing here. He's been successful. He's depth. You have a lot of pitching depth if you bring back Colon. You got Lugo. You got Gazellman. You got Colon. You got Syndergaard. You have Harvey coming back. You have uh, Degrom. You have Mats. Two of those guys are going to need some. You know, Colon might fall off the cliff. Maybe Lugo and Gazellman are, are either one or both are, are phonies that, 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 that had a good run. You saw this year how important pitching depth is. Plus, if you develop a Gazellman or Lugo, it makes it a little bit easier to say, Harvey, you know, Harvey, take a walk. You build his value up, you trade him midseason if something comes up. The other big question to me, you know, I would resign those guys. Neil Walker, uh, you hear they're going to offer him the, the – the qualifying offer, that's going to change his market a little bit. Now, there's the, the, the CBA is in the middle of all this, so I don't know how that's going to work. Are they going to change that rule? Because it really limits a player's market when you have to give a, a, pro, uh, a, a draft pick. And with Walker coming off a of back surgery, that changes the dynamic a little bit. So I, I, you know, you gotta, there might be some things that change between now and as they renegotiate the collective bargaining agreement. They say they want to maybe look at Walker as a multi-unit. I'd be careful. Any These guys with backs, Duda, Wright, Walker, be real careful. If shoulders are the death knell of a pitcher, backs are the death knell of offensive players. They sap your power. They weaken you. It, it, it affects your whole body. 
It affects your legs. You know, it, and once your legs go in baseball, you really can't play. I mean, everything, everything generates from below, lower body. So I'd be real careful about Neil Walker. You know, if he accepts the qualifying offer, great. If not, and, and look, I don't know if T.J. Rivera could play every day and not get exposed. You have Gavin Shashini. I don't know if he can play every day. And Neil Walker's a 25-30 home run threat at second base. He played a good second base, but you have to be careful. That's a lot of money. And we don't know what the Mets' budget's going to be. The other question out there, and this is the one that you're probably going to have to just swallow it because he's arbitration eligible. He's going to get a raise. Is Travis Darno, who essentially Darno this year, if he's not hurt, let's assume he's not hurt because he had that little shoulder thing, but let's assume he came back and he's got some semblance of health. He was, he was a backup to a career minor leaguer in Rene Rivera. For all the years that Rene Rivera has been in the league, he's still arbitration eligible, which means he hasn't gotten a heck of a lot of service time all these years. Travis Darno, could you imagine at this time last year, Travis Darno, the contributions he made in the Cubs series, how well he played in the second half. If I had told you Rene Rivera, who was signed as a minor league free agent by the Mets, played for Tampa and hit below the Mendoza line last year, would be a better option, outplay, and be the Mets starting catcher over Travis Darno. What would you guys say over at MetsmerizedOnline.com? You probably would cancel the show. I've never been gaga or crazy over Travis Darno since he got brought up. You guys know that. I started to see a little bit out of him. I hear about the framing and all that other stuff, and that's the advanced metrics. I don't think he's a good hitter. You know, as far as calling a game, I think a lot of the game is being called by the dugout. I mean, just watch a game, look at the catcher. So can I really criticize him for that? The fact that the pitchers felt more comfortable pitching to Rene Rivera tells you a lot. The Mets had this issue back in the late 80s, early 90s. They had a great hitting catcher, Mackie Sasser. Barry Lines wasn't a bad hitting catcher. Everybody wanted to hit, throw to Charlie O'Brien. Rene Rivera is like Charlie O'Brien. I think Charlie O'Brien was a better defensive catcher. Can you sir? I, I prefer a catch-and-throw guy behind home plate. Now, Rene Rivera, if he could hit 240, it is a little a big difference from Mendoza line. When you have a, a pitcher-level hitter at number eight hole, you're giving away two out of three outs in a national. I mean, you're basically every three innings giving away the inning. It's tough. That guy has to really – that's a backup. I don't know if Rene Rivera can improve offensively. Maybe because the coaching staff appears to be coming back. Maybe Kevin Long could work with him and do something. I don't know. I mean, he's got a little pop. But you're probably going to be coming back with those two guys. And then Ploiecki, I've never seen anything that tells me at this point that Ploiecki is a big league hitter. So if you tell me Ploiecki versus Rene Rivera, it seems like Rene Rivera is a better catch-and-throw option than Ploiecki. They're basically, even Rivera could probably be better hitter. you got to go with Rivera. Ploiecki at times didn't even have his head in the game. Like I was very disappointed in Kevin Ploiecki. I thought this was a guy that could hit 260, 270, maybe 300, not have a lot of power, be a, a decent receiver, at the very least spot Darno. I figured you had two guys that really could cobble together a decent receiving core with Darno being a 15 to 20 home run threat. But you don't have that right now. So that's a huge question, and there is no free agency answer. Luke Croy was an option. They, they failed on that. I don't blame him. It sounds like they wanted a lot. Finally, two other points before I take a break and get to John. 
David Wright, I know you're all going to talk about him. You could you have used a right-handed bat against Madison Bumgarner. They could have used Flores. They certainly could have used a pre-herniated disc right, even if though he was a, not the same player. But if you guys think coming back that David Wright is going to contribute, he can't play part-time because he can't be a part-time player with his routine. He's coming off serious herniated disc surgery. After watching Reyes, who's not even a third baseman, play third base, guys like Kelly Johnson, after what I just told you about Game 5 of the uh, World Series, you cannot survive with a third baseman who cannot throw. Either he picks up a first baseman's glove, and maybe he could play a little first base against left-handed pitching, which is a heck of a lot of money for $20 million for a, a backup player. And I don't even know if he could do that because he comes to the park and needs to kind of know. He's basically a guy that if he doesn't play every day, he's worthless. I don't know what you're going to do with him. You know, that's going to be an interesting storyline. And I don't think you should plan. And hopefully the Mets are smart and are not planning like they did this year on David Wright being their third baseman because I don't think he can. The other thing, one final thing, be real careful. There'll be people, there'll be general managers looking to grab some of your young pitching, maybe looking to buy low. Maybe they'll make you a nice offer for a DeGrom. Or maybe even Gazelman and Lugo, there'll be guys that, hey, listen, these are guys I could get in because they're, they're a little untapped and they'll know that the Mets have depth and they'll, they'll be tempted. Be real careful about trading your young pitchers because you saw this year a five-man rotation turns into a six-man rotation, turns into an eight-man rotation. This year the Mets went 12. I said when they were only using five or six starters early in the year, I said, guys, that is a healthy rotation. You're going to need 10 guys. Sure enough, you need it. You had Rafael Montero and Gabriel Noah making starts in big games in September. That's not the plan. That's not what you wanted to get to, nor could you plan. But the Mets were fortunate that those guys weren't option B and C. Those guys are option D, E, F. Because that's why the 2007 and the 2008 Mets went down the toilet. Because guys like that who can't pitch, or at least haven't shown that they can pitch, were next man up. Whereas this year, Gazelman and Lugo were next man up. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return, John Delcos, New York Mets report. He's going to be joining us, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit about the 2016 Mets season, where to go, offseason, some of the topics I just went through. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show at MetsMarizeOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And get us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be right back. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today.
We're back. Talking Mets podcast. Uh, Mike Silva here, and I have with me John Delcos. You can check out John on Twitter at jdelcos. His website is the New York Mets Report. John's been covering baseball for over 25 years, about a decade covering the Mets. He also has covered the Yankees and the Orioles. Uh, it was on this past summer, and I thought it would be good to get him back on as we do a little post-mortem here. John, happy Saturday. Uh, how's it going, my friend? It's going fine, Michael. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Not not a problem. Let's let's get the. I'm going to go down kind of how I set this up in the in the open. Not really much to say in the in the wild card game scenario. The game was managed appropriately. They were beat by a great pitcher, the the Mets. I think the narrative that came out of this, and and I think we want to kind of, I at least want to dispel it, is you're going to hear a lot of talk. And I was listening to talk radio yesterday about well, the Mets need a closer, and can Jury's familiar get a big out in a big spot and. Uh, he was off, John. The minute he came in, I didn't feel good about him because he didn't look like he was on. Yes, I know what happened in the World Series, but defense was as much of an issue in the World Series for him as it was uh, his in- inability to execute. I'm not going into 2017 worried about Jerry's Familia, uh, and I don't think the Mets can't win a championship with Jerry's Familia as their closer. Do you agree? agree 100%. Um, the guy saved 51 games this year. Uh, he was lights out last year. He had a few blips in the World Series. As you mentioned, this year, Collins even said that he may have overused him a bit, and that's something that should be looked into. Uh, they should examine their how often pitch counts for familiar for Addison Reed and, and monitor. I think they're going to be better next year with familiar. The thing that impressed me most about familiar was after the game, he stood up and said, these things happen. I made a bad pitch. It's my fault. He has a thick skin. I'm not worried about him at all. Uh, my baseball roots covering in New York was Mariana Rivera. And you'll recall after the uh, 97 playoffs when Sandy Alomar beat him, uh, he said that that was probably the best thing that happened to him. That he learned from it. He learned how to bounce back. And he learned that uh, these things happen, and he didn't let blown saves eat at him. It's happened two years in a row with Familia. I still don't worry about him. I think his attitude was great. Uh, he was a stand-up guy, which is more than I can say for the left fielder. Uh, well, and we'll get to him, but I'll even make another point. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you covered him. I don't know if you covered him with the Orioles, and, uh, and I don't think he was. He obviously wasn't with the Mets when you came over, but that was one of the issues with Armando Benitez. He wouldn't stand by his locker. Um, he would hide I after did, after big games. I did cover Armando Benitez several times. Uh, I have a great Armin, Armando, Armando Benitez story for you. And uh, I was talking to, um, remember the conversation with the Orioles pitching coach and the catcher. And the catcher, Chris Hoyle, said that uh, for me, he has all the stuff. He just doesn't want the ball. Um, mm. Which means that uh, when it tight he has problems and the thing you'll always know about um, Benitez is that um, when he blows a save and everybody blows him that he'll blow another and another and another he'll blow three or four in a row because he has a real thin skin he didn't know how to let things bounce back um, he he Armando was a was a child in a lot of ways um, Mike you know how at the end of every year that the uh, the veterans uh, punk the uh, rookies and make them dress up yep. and things like that. Yep. 
Uh, we were in Milwaukee one day. It was a, a Sunday. It was the end of a series. The Orioles were on, on, the, on their um, way home, and they made all the players dress up in women's clothes. Armando Benitez wouldn't go. He wouldn't fall for it. He wouldn't dress. He wouldn't do anything. He held up the team bus for over a half hour. They made uh, Rafael Palmero and Roberto Alomar come back in to the clubhouse to talk him into it, and uh, he he got his way. They He didn't have to dress up in women's clothes. He had to dress up in a suit or whatever, and uh, it, it was it was um it was just it showed a lot about his mentality. Um, and uh, I talked to the Orioles manager at the time, was Ray Miller, and uh, he, you know, I said, why'd you let him get away with that? And uh, he said, well, what could I do? And I said, Ray, he's a, a major league ball player. He has an American Express card. You leave him behind, let him find his way back home. And um, that's what I would have done. It's harsh. I don't care about the Spanish and the cultural differences. You know, a ball club is a, is a fraternity, and everybody, I don't think that they really believe that women's clothes helps them become a, a better team. But the fact of the matter is that it's a bonding experience, and they believe it. And if they believe it, then they have to they have to follow through with it. So, um I have any. I don't have any problems with. I knew that Benitez was never going to be a, a great ball player, a great closer, and great clo- closers don't bounce around from team to team. He went to the Mets. He played with the Yankees. He played with the Giants. He played with um, the. I think it was the Indians. He played oh, with Miami. four or five different teams. Miami, yeah, excuse me. A, and, right. And and if he was a that great a closer, he wouldn't have bounced around that much, which again brings us back to Cespedes. Teams. Right, and and that's well, that's the thing. So th- this is where everything uh, emanates from. And um, let's—I don't know if you agree with this, but from a dynamic, offensive, big moment guy in the regular season, Cespedes has had moments and has reminded people of Piazza and Strawberry at times with big home runs and what have you. Right. If exactly. And be mercurial. I didn't like the whole no sliding earlier in the year. I think that him playing center field, which um, you know, probably contributed to the quad. I think he's been hurt pretty much since July, and the Mets didn't really handle that well. If you let him go because, look, anything could happen. The money could get silly, and there is a point where you say, can't, can't do it. If you let him go, then, then you, you have a, a hole there. What's, what's the next step? Is it, I mean, Joel Sherman had mentioned Edwin Encarnacion, who, who played a more DH than first base. Jose Batista is available. Um, Ian Desmond's a right-handed now. He's an outfielder. You don't know what, if Encarnacion or Batista are any less expensive. You don't even know if they can, can or want to play in New York. Ian Desmond's a good component player. It changes the complexion of the offense. I'm not saying they can't win and they can't compete without Cespedes, but this is now turning an offseason, which could be about building the fringes into, well, what are they going to do? And then it becomes a way different situation. Well, it's the hardest decision that Sandy Alderson will have to face. Um, this is where he's going to make his money. Um, if things stay the way they are, they get Cespedes for two years for for fifty million dollars. You can double that at least. That's a hundred million dollars. Personally, um, I agree. He's a dynamic bat. 
But let's look at the let's look at the um the flip side of this. He doesn't always hustle. Um he does get hurt. He um is very high maintenance and with a hundred million dollars they have to they have a lot of holes they have to fill. And they can fill them with holes and be a, a, a credible ball club and be a contending ball club, and be a playoff-caliber team. Look at all the holes. They need to get a catcher. Um, they have a question at second base, so um, do you bring back Walker? Um, they have to bring back Jay Bruce before they even think about bringing back Cespedes. Um, that's all money that that you would spend for Cespedes that you can plug those three areas. The reason you have to bring back Bruce is because you have to you have to hedge, and if your line of thinking is we got to sign a guy uh, because we think this guy is going to leave, you're again placating uh, Cespedes. I he says five days after the series, fine, he'll file. We all know he'll file. But if you're the Mets, you say do you go up front? My best and final offer is this. And then you say you got a week to take it or leave it, and once you leave it, it's you're gone. It, it's right. off the table. They thought they had lost Cespedes before, and they were in the process of building a team. They had signed Diazo. They're in the process of building a team of component parts, and we still don't know about Conforto. We still don't know about Nimmo. Those are two outfielders on, on the rise. At least the Mets think they are on the rise. I hate the way they handled Conforto this year. And if they bring back Cespedes, they're going to do the same thing with Conforto next year because you'll have in right, you'll have Granderson in his last year at center, and they only have Cespedes in left. And don't forget, Mike, that when they signed Cespedes originally, it was because he agreed to play center field. Oh, by the way, what happens to Juan Lagares? Cespedes is holding up the development of Conforto, Nimmo, and Lagares. He's holding the Mets back in a lot of ways. I I say with Cespedes, if you really, really want him, you give your best offer up front, you give him a deadline, and say, that's it. No other negotiations. You, you pull it off the table. And you know what, table. John? John, that's exactly how I would approach a lot of these things. I think that's exactly how they kind of approach Piazza and Leiter after 98 these things, which, and I don't know if Rock Nation is going to do this. I, I really, you know, this is Boris. It'd be a different story. You got to say this is what we're going to pay you, and then if the parameters are close, let's figure it out. If not, you want to go out and see what you got. Go get wine and dine at the winter meetings. This almost burnt them because if you think about it, John, if they didn't sign Cespedes in January and they signed him almost February, um, you know, this team would have looked a lot different. You can't recover. Everybody's gone at that point. And, exactly. and then the, the component of the two, I agree with you on that uh, 110%. Now, as far as Conforto, though, is it possible? Because you know as well as anybody covering baseball for a long time, back injuries for hitters are death knell. Lucas Duda's a guy at non-tender, and I'm not saying not bring him back, but I'm not counting on Lucas Duda. Can you give Conforto, uh, can you k- give Conforto a first baseman's mitt and get him to play a little first base, a little outfield, um, he's four positions he could play then. All three outfield positions in first base, and then you can find out bats for him no matter what. Yeah, exactly. And and you know one of the things that you know first base, and I played a little bit of first base in high school. And yeah, I know it's high school; it's not the major leagues. So, 
anybody that's listening out there, I understand that. But first base is a lot harder than people think. Um, you have the relays, you have the cutoffs, you have the bunt plays, you have the three six three double play, you have positioning. First place, first base is damn hard to play, and it's not easy to play. And, and one of the things that that gets lost is in the holding on to base runners. When you have a guy like Duda, who is right-handed, right-handed thrower, that means when he holds the runner on base, he's he's kind of straddling the bag, and one foot's probably in, in foul territory. But when he gets the tag, when he gets the ball and, and tags the runner diving back to the bag, it's usually on his calf knee area. Your left-handed first baseman, i.e. Loney, catches the ball and drops his glove right away, and he's got it on the runner's wrist. It's easier to take a lead off a right-handed first baseman. And we know that the Mets pitchers don't hold on runners, and so you don't want to handicap them even further with a first baseman that really can't hold them. So you're giving the runner an extra step or two. So that's that's something that gets overlooked. And they ran wild on Syndergaard. 48 stolen bases and 57 attempts is, is, is just a horrible percentage. So that's something they have to think about. Back injury, you're right. And and, and there's so much torque in, in um, due to swing that I have a think I have to think that he could get hurt again. Um, is Loney the answer? I, I don't know, but they don't get into the playoffs without Loney. But do you want him for a whole 162 games? That's another decision. If you don't want Loney, you have to go out and get a first baseman. So, again, that's money at a position that is needed that Cespedes is pulling away from. If you right. let Cespedes go, $100 million can plug a lot of holes not the least of which is giving money to these young pitchers that they, they're so highly touted about. And guess what? They may need to go out and get pitching because we don't know what's going to happen with the guys that are coming back from surgery. Well, that's a good point. I want to get – you brought up Neil Walker. I want to get to him, but th- that's a good transition because I got Walker on the list here, dude, uh, Darno. Um, there's going to be got teams coming up and saying, hey, you know – to see if the Mets would trade their young pitchers. So you could say, well, look what they got now. Gazelman and Lugo are probably good back-of-the-rotation uh, options. Uh, you know, you have Match, you have DeGrom, you have uh, Syndergaard, you have Harvey. And I remember how in July Jack, Zach Wheeler everybody too. was tweeting. You know, everybody was tweeting, hey, Zach Wheeler, have, if ever forgets about him. I, I even just did. Oh, well, the Mets have been decimated by injuries. Well, they had five or six pitchers that had started games by, like, the All-Star break. That's not bad. Anybody will tell you you need to go into the season. The pitching coach, a good pitching coach, a good organization will say, here's starting pitcher number one, here's the number 10. And the reason they were able to make the playoffs is that guys like Montero and Yanoa, who were you know, D, E, F options, for other teams would be B options. You don't want those guys as B options. So be careful about trading pitching. Bringing Cologne back is something they talked about. I know there's even you know, guys you feel like, oh, maybe look at Ari Dickey coming back. I mean, you can't have too many starters because then, you, you know, guys can't transition to the bullpen. But you may need, if Cologne doesn't come back, you may need to get a guy like a Dickey who's a free agent who could give you some innings. You need someone like that because you're going to have innings issues and you may have injury issues with some of the young pitchers that went down this year. Yeah, you, you, you're exactly right. Um, 
we don't know what's going to happen with the with the surgeries and when are these guys are going to come back. Uh, hey, they thought that Wheeler was going to be back in July and it didn't happen. Um, who's His mechanics that, are so bad. His mechanics yeah. are so bad. I I don't know if he's ever going to make it back. I don't know, and, and you have to you have to think that what organization did he come from? San Francisco. They really really know what they're doing with their pitching, and so maybe they thought, well, Wheeler's. I don't think they traded damaged goods per se, but I think they thought, well, oh, maybe Wheeler's not as good as we thought, so we can get rid of him. Um, right. They know they know what they're doing pitching wise, so I, I'm not I'm not worried about about them, but what I am concerned about is that if they think that Wheeler's not good enough, then you know maybe he's not good enough. So I wouldn't go in holding my breath on Wheeler or any of these other guys. Um, Matt's had an elbow problem, and then he has a shoulder problem. They did surgery on the elbow. They didn't do surgery on the shoulder. Will he need it? I don't know. Uh, Syndergaard had a bone spur all year he pitched with it, and right now we don't know if he's going to have surgery, but if he does, that's a decision that has to be made pretty soon if he's going to be ready for spring training. And who's to say that that bone, prob- that bone spur won't uh, pop up again next year? Um, Harvey, I'm, I'm beyond expecting anything from Matt Harvey. I, 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 I've been an advocate for a long time that after the, the 19, 19, 19, the 2018 season, that when he's a free agent, he's gone. I, uh, his agent is Boris. He takes the last dollar off the table. There's no wiggle room with him. And Harvey, I think, is gone. I, I, I am almost certain of it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my breath on, on, on Harvey. Um, I would give extension to DeGrom and Syndergaard before I would even give a $100 million offer to Matt Harvey. And by the time 2018 comes around, what will Matt Harvey accomplished? We don't know. Um, he's going to have two years before his walk year um, to uh, decide to, for us to figure out where he really is. And right now, I have no clue where Matt Harvey is. Um, but I think his head is elsewhere. So I, I'm, I'm not holding my breath on him. Um, and, and because of that, and because of the uncertainty about Matt's, and because we don't know what's going to happen with you know, DeGrom, hey, I'm not all that anxious to, to um, trade Gesellman and, and Lugo. And speaking of those two, you know, we only saw them for half a season. You know that is that a, enough of a window to say, well, these guys are great. We don't know that. They need a, they need a full season before we can make a decision on men. Uh, so I, I, they have a lot of pitch, pitching questions, and um, my thinking is is the way to handle that is to keep them all until you figure out who's healthy and who's productive. So I, I wouldn't be all that eager to be trading their young the young pitching to fill up. You know, holes at second base and the catcher. I, I I just wouldn't do it because you know pitching is a, is the most important um, commodity in the game. So I don't give that up easily. And if I do, I expect to get a lot back. And um, quite honestly, Mike, um, if you're the other team and you're trading the Met, uh, with the Mets on pitching, and and 
guys like Harvey and Max and Wheeler are on the table, you know, you're as familiar with their injury history as anybody. So sure. why would you be willing to give up a, a top-flight catcher to, to get a guy like Matz? I, I wouldn't. Their, their trade value is down now. So, you know, they're not dealing with a, from a position of strength. Um, as far as Walker goes, um, you know, he's got the bat coming, recovering from back. That's, that's going to raise a lot of questions. So, but it wouldn't hurt to give him a one-year qualifying offer. That's going to be like $18 million. So, you know, that's 20, 20% or 25% of what a $100 million package would be uh, for uh, Cespedes. Again, too many, too many holes, uh, $100 million can plug a lot of those holes. That's the way I would go. I have with me John Delcos, NewYorkMetsReport.com, uh, at Jay Delcos on Twitter, uh, covered the Mets for well over a decade and has been covering baseball for uh, uh, 25 years. Uh, Darno, here's the thing. If I had said at this time last year, after the, uh, the he saw Darno in, in the playoffs, that the better option for the Mets this year, or the best catching option, was a career minor leaguer who was actually – still arbitration eligible, even though he's been in the league a while, that was in the Mets organization one time before and was playing independent ball in Camden not too long ago. You guys would all, you know, the fans would probably never turn on this podcast ever again. Uh, that's what happened with Travis Darno and Rene Rivera. Now, there's not a lot of free agents out there, John, that, that, that I look at that are better options. Uh, trading for a catcher, that's tough. You saw what Lucroy commanded. In, in, in at the trade deadline in the market. Darnell and me, I've nice never been crazy him. about him. Yeah, it would have been nice. It would have changed a lot of things. I've never been crazy about him. I warmed up to him last year. I mean, I, I know about the framing and all that stuff. As far as game calling, I, I unless I'm missing something, I think the bench calls all the pitches. So, to me, he doesn't do any game calling. I look up, he's looking over at the bench after every pitch. I think he's a backup. I don't know if he's yeah, a starting I do. catch. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I don't know what they, they this, do because Pulecki's not a starter, and and Rene Rivera doesn't hit enough for me to really say here's 110, 120 games. So what do they do? The thing about Darno is is you're right, he doesn't hit, or he hasn't played well, um, but he also hasn't stayed healthy either. But if you're the Mets, I'm not going to count on this guy to come back and, and catch 100 games. I have to go into the off season thinking that Darno is not going to be my catcher. So I, I they have to they have to look outside. I I don't know who the free agent catchers are. Um, so I would have to examine that. But I do know that I I, I can't go into into the into the season expecting that Darno is going to be the answer. Rene Rivera doesn't really hit a lot, but his ERA, the staff ERA when he catches is a is a run lower than when Darno catches. That's that's not by mistake. There's something to 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 Rivera. So I, as of now, I would have to go in with him as the number one, and Ploiecki slash Darno as as the backup, then and look for an, another guy in, until you you um, get a guy that can catch. And hit and and make him the uh, the number one guy, but um, that's a hole that needs to be filled. 
I don't think they can go into next year with their catching the way it is now and 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 and, and, and expect to win. I I think they have to uh, get somebody better at that position. Let's go quickly through some of the uh, the remaining free agents. I'd bring back Kelly Johnson. Uh, I don't know if he's going to – I think Fernando Salas, um, I mean, he's probably not as good as what he showed in September, but he's a guy who has closing experience. We talked about Familia needing to reduce the workload. I don't trust Robles. Um, Salas, to me, is a guy who could close on those days that Reed and Familia can't. You could go uh, three closers deep. I'd bring him back um, unless the bidding gets crazy. And Jerry Blevins, I know you have Josh Smoker. I know you have Josh Edgen. Uh, lefty relievers that could get big outs. You saw this. You 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 covered him and Pedro Feliciano. They're fast and fleeting because they get overused and 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 they burn out. But to, and, and when you have a good one like Blevins with experience, you you hold on to him. Um, I would bring all those guys back. I'd bring Cologne back. The only one I would say that I would absolutely probably you know, I mean I don't think John Neese is going to be back. Uh, I know we talked oh, about James Loney. He's you know he's neither here nor there. James Loney. I think Diaz is a goner. Um, but all the rest of these guys, they're not going to cost a ton. Um, you got to bring it back. I think you want to hold the fabric of the team together. And these are component players that I think are, are almost necessary because as much as the modern front office thinks guys are fungible, these guys like playing here. They're used to playing here. They've had success here. There's something to that, in my opinion. So I would go back and bring all these guys back. I would. Do, you won 87 games this year um, without your best, your best players. You, you won 87 games without Harvey Wright for much of the season. Duda, uh, you're you're a good team right now, but you have holes. And 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 I know people are thinking, well, would they have won 87 games if they didn't have Cespedes? Probably not. But you have to go into the idea that if they ha- if they had these other guys and they didn't have Cespedes, they'd still be a playoff caliber team I agree with you um, you have to go with um, the idea of, of, of patching what you have now and, and, and fabric of the team together because that's that's essential and 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 the, the money that is is earmarked for Cespedes does that it brings back all these guys it gives them the necessary raises um, it maybe affords you the opportunity to uh, spend the money. Bruce is going to cost them $13 million. Bringing back Walker is going to cost them another $18 million if it's for one year. Um, they have all these guys that, that that need to be paid, and other guys are going to come and demand raises, or you know, based on their their um, experience, are going to command raises. I agree with you. You have to bring back Kelly Johnson. Why? Because if you don't bring back Kelly Johnson, you're going to send another prospect to to get him back later. That would be three prospects for Kelly Johnson. That just makes no sense. He was a the guy they should have brought back originally. Uh, so I I would I would do that and 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 keep as much as you can together, and that would be Cespedes money would do that. That would allow you to do a lot of things, and then you go out and support getting somebody else. Um, Batista, I don't know. I, I, I don't I, I think he might just end up staying in Toronto. And and Carcion, he might end up staying in Toronto too. Toronto's a great place to play. <laughs> you they're gonna go to the taxes are next horrible. round. The, the taxes I know, are but you, maybe they don't care. 
Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. You know. Batista's loved over there, John. They, they, I mean, Batista's like hosting. I think when the NBA All Star Game was there, he was a host uh, of a party. I mean, it's this is what I'm saying. You know, Cespedes walks. You probably are looking at a component roster. Here's an interesting thing: if Cespedes stays. Does they have to pick up Bruce's option because then they could trade him? He's an asset. But is Bruce now earmarked for? I mean, you got lukewarm. He didn't play well. He played well for about ten days. You heard he wasn't really keen on moving here. I understand that the young child. He was displanted. People forget that when you get traded, that happens, and they're human beings. You know, no one's feeling sorry with the money, but they're human beings. Is Bruce the guy that if you bring him back and don't bring Cespedes back, are you relying on a? on a risky proposition. And I think it's a lazy narrative to say he's Jay, you know, he's Jason Bay, but you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot hanging over on his head and, and who knows if he's, he's built for this place. I, you know, I don't know if he's been, I, I think that when you, you're, you're, you're playing in a major league, there's inherent pressure and I don't buy this. Oh, it's Cincinnati versus New York. I, you know what? You know, who says that? Usually it's the media that says that. And they're all saying it because they like to puff the, the chest and say, well, I'm part of that New York media that makes things hard on everybody. Huh. Screw that. You know, you're a major league ball player, a fastball at 100 miles an hour is the same in Cincinnati as it is in New York. And and if you're you're a, a good ball player, you'll, you'll adjust. I think Bruce is a good ball player. I think that he can play in New York. I think he can play anywhere. I would have no problems with Jay Bruce being my centerpiece outfielder next year as far as power goes. Um, I think that uh, that would help. I think that uh, also that you're going to bring back Granderson next year uh, for his final year, and and he's been he's been mis he's been misused. He's been up and down the batting order all over the place. Uh, he finally settled in when he's hitting behind Cespedes, behind a power guy. So if you you back Bruce and and uh, Granderson together, I, I have no problems with that. And 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 um, I I do think that part of getting the most out of your players is is the manager's job. And I think that's where I have my problem with Collins in some respect. You know I I don't I don't I don't buy this lefty righty stuff. You know, I just don't. I think it's overblown, and and Collins relies too much on that. He he doesn't handle the bullpen well, and so that's something that needs to be to be addressed. Because if after the season Collins says, "I may have overused Familia," well, what does that tell you? Then it tells you that he doesn't use his bullpen well. So that has that has to be uh, done. There's a lot of it's a lot of patching and fixing and reevaluating things with the Mets and, and, you know, but, you know, that's why this is going to be Sandy Alderson's toughest, toughest year. Uh, you have my phone number. You can give it to Alderson. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, John, I'm sorry, Mike. No, that's, that's fine. The difference is one game extra a month, a win extra a month, and they're playing in the NLDS. You know, that playing game Everyone complains about the wild card expand the playoffs. That's not a good route to the postseason. No, so it's not. That one extra win. That one extra win a month. That's all the difference between them and the Nats are about a win, maybe a win and a half a month. And that's that's. It sounds like a little bit. It's not. But if you manage a bullpen properly, you give the right guys rest. Um, you manage injuries well. 
it's a lot different. I mean, look, I don't want to make this about Collins. I'm not a fan. Of his, look, the bottom line, John, doesn't matter what you say, what I say. He's coming back. His staff is coming back next year. And I will tell you, there is no excuses next year. I don't want to hear a sleepy spring training. There's no reason to be taking bows. They, they, they overachieved. They made the playoffs, but they came far short of where they were supposed to be. They regressed, if you want to talk about it in another way. So um, I, don't, I, I, I would think, and I know the owner loves Terry, and he basically said the other day, Terry and Sandy are the face of the franchise. But uh, they start out uh, 16 and 24 in 2017. I don't want to hear that the players love Terry. I'll tell you that much. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't disagree with you at all. And, and you know, Wilpon got what he wanted. He got competitive games, meaningful games in, in September. Um, and honestly, Mike, I I think that that might be what Wilpon wants. He want he. I think he wants this. I think he wanted to go into the wild card game, be a, be a, a contender, and but it costs money to not only contend, but it costs money to win it all. And I think that the Mets honestly overachieved last year, 2015, and they they overestimated how good they were, and they didn't plug in enough holes. Um, so that is they they they. They can't go into the next year thinking, oh, we won 87 games with half our team on the DL, and we'll be fine. No, they don't. They have holes they have to, they have to plug. They have to get better in a lot of areas, and that's going to cost money. And um, I, it's a matter of spending all that money on one player or spending all that money on five or six different players. I'd rather spend it on five or six different players. Uh, one last thing as we wrap up. I love David Wright. He's a great guy. I know you've covered him for a long time. I mean, you know, he's you know, he's the kind of guy you want to have as the face of your franchise. They cannot. And I don't think they will. And I don't know if they did this year. I think they thought that they could mitigate him. And then if he was out, you know, they could plug in with Flores and et cetera. But you cannot go in and pencil him as your third baseman. As a matter of fact, after watching Reyes, who's not a third baseman, and even guys like Kelly Johnson and Matt Reynolds play third base, you see that arm, how bad it is, how bad a third baseman he is now. It's not because of effort. He's physically unable to do it. He's got a serious, serious injury that I think a lot of people are downplaying, even David himself. And uh, I, agree. I don't know, I agree. I I don't agree. know how they're going to handle this. This is a problem because if he wants to play, he's on the roster. What the hell are you going to do with him? He's not a backup. I don't know how this is going to well, work. This, this is a problem. Well, players – in the past, at the end of their careers, have have, have played, switched to different positions uh, for for physical reasons. Mantle did it. Yastrzemski did it. Cal Ripken did it. A lot of these guys switched. I wrote about um, was last summer, 2015, that um, one of the things they may want to consider is is moving right to left field um, there's no bending diving in, in the outfield like there is at third base easier on his back the grass is, is easier on his back rather than the infield it, it, it makes sense the arm is a problem but the th- arm th- the throw from left field is the shortest of all the outfield throws that is something that has to be considered also how about first base? Now, he's not a tall guy, but 
a lot of guys that played first base aren't haven't been tall. You know, right. Keith was Greg Jeffries tall. played first base. And Greg, Greg Jeffries, Jeffries was five eight. Pete Pete yeah. Rose wasn't tall. Steve Garvey wasn't tall. A lot of these guys, you don't have to be, you know, Pat Patrick Ewan to play first base. It helps, but you don't have to be it. Right. Um, so you have first and you have left are the only possibilities that um, Wright might be able to move to. Another, and it's far-reaching uh, because it, it's a lot of learning would be entailed, is second base. You have the shortest of all the throws. Um, you don't have to crouch as low as you do at third. You, you have a little bit more time for the ball to come to you. Um, so that's a possibility. Um, but you know what? You're David Wright, and you're at the end of your career, and you got to go into into spring training with the idea of where he's going to play, and you can't put all your eggs in the third base basket because you're going to end up being disappointed. So they have to really look at where they're going to play David Wright. Um, and I don't know if there's an, at the point of discussing, you know, retirement. He's still young enough where he can play if he were healthy. I don't know if it's reached that stage yet. But um, that's all on the table, and and um, I can't I can't imagine them wanting to um, uh, go on without having that as an answer. It would be it would be very irresponsible of Alderson to go into next season without having a, a, a better plan for David Wright than just hoping that he just stays healthy at third. So if the fans go to NewYorkMetsReport.com right now, they could revisit the top 20 questions that you had earlier this year, and, and you obviously you recap where those uh, question, what those questions were and, and what transpired. What can they expect yeah. from John Delcos as we de- into the offseason? I mean, personally, me, after this show, October, let's let the rest of the league uh, breathe. I don't think there's going to be any Mets news. Maybe Sandy comes down with one of his uh, sermons from the Mount on a, on a, on a slow day, but – I think this is going to be pretty much uh, postseason baseball. Then we'll kick into the the real hot stove. What do we, what do we expect from John Delcos as we go into the uh, Mets off season? Well, during the during October, we're going to uh, uh, examine each player, um, what their exp- expectations were going into the year, how they met them, and what the future is with them. Being going into more detail, I'm going to look at the uh, uh, probably today. I'm looking at the, the top. 10 decisions on players that have to be made, you know, paragraph on each of them. Uh, but I'm going to do a lot more of that. When the, when the uh, winter meetings come, I will be looking at who the available free agents are and how they might fit in with the Mets. I will be looking at um, uh, reviewing the Cespedes thing again because um, there's um, uh, a lot to that. Uh, and, and, it's, I'm not piling on. It's not that I don't like the guy. I just think the money has got to be better spent. Um, I, I'm going to do a comparison on the Mets versus the Yankees. Uh, which team is in better position to win right now uh, going into 20, 2017? And um, I'll be looking at that. And uh, I'll be looking at some of the uh, NL East teams who, who have gotten better. Uh, the Braves are no slouch anymore, um, so that's something else that the Mets have to worry about. Well, John, I I, I enjoy your work. I uh, enjoyed our conversations this season. I'm sure we'll do more of it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the postseason. It looks like it's going to be 
It's going to be fun, and let's do it again. All righty, my friend. We can do we can do it as often as you like, Mike. Um, my my hope for the World Series is um, San Francisco against Cleveland. I'm not saying well, that's what it's going to be. But those a lot are the of Cubs fans. There's a lot of Cubs, the, the city of Chicago mourns as they hear that. Well, well, you yeah. know what? Guess what, Mike? Go ahead. Just like it was with Boston, I think they they relish in being miserable, and yeah, they, um, <laughs> they, the Cubs fans will lose their identity if they win. And, and you notice how the Red Sox fans became, oh, they're so lovable losers, and you know they're mourning and all that. Now that the Red Sox won three World Series, Red Sox fans are kind of insufferable if you look at it. <laughs> yeah, like Yankees fans. No, yeah, they point. are. They really right are. A hundred, a hundred years of, a, of an identity that th- that that would create an identity crisis. So maybe it's a good thing if they lose. John, that was a good, that was a, this is a fun spot. Let's do it again. Enjoy your weekend. Already. Okay, Mike. Thank you so very much. And that's John Delcos, New York Mets report at Jay Delcos. Uh, you guys remember John? He covered the Mets beat for a while, and he's covering it independently now. Um, so good stuff. We went on long. I thought it was good content. So anyway, quick break. Want to wrap up? Want to give you an idea about uh, what to expect from the podcast as we head into the off season. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMarizeOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and whatever podcasting service you desire. We will be right back. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, Talking Mets Podcast. Final thoughts here. I want to thank John Delcos. Great uh, great segment. John's good and his uh, website, New York Mets Report. Uh, check it out. So that's it, guys. The season's over. Um, it doesn't Unless there's some kind of Mets news, and the only thing I could see possibly happening the rest of October in the postseason, maybe Sandy Alderson does one of his states of the union. Maybe we'll, we'll jump in and, and do a podcast and take a look to see if some of the things he talked about coincide with some of the thoughts we shared on today's podcast. But other than that, probably not going to pick this thing up until after the World Series. And then at that point, uh, it's probably still going to be a weekly podcast. Uh, Sunday, probably earlier in the day is when it will come out. Some of the things I'm thinking about doing, trying to catch up with some old Mets, Mets alumni segments. I did a lot of that during the uh, the old NY Baseball Digest podcast back in the day. Uh, there's some fun uh, comparisons, Mets history comparisons, best team in Mets history, top 10 players in Mets history. You may want to get into that, and we could have some fun with that. There's always the Hall of Fame show. I know now that Piazza is elected to the Hall of Fame. There's a little bit less of a Mets-centric component to that, but I like doing a Hall of Fame ballot right before the week that they announce the Hall of Fame and uh, give my ballot, kind of talk about some of the guys on the on the bubble. 
that may not be Met-centric, but that's always fun to do. There's the winter meetings, a lot of hot stove. So I'm going to mix it up a little bit. And before you know it, it'll be spring training. Pitchers and catchers is uh, around February 15th. So you look, you got the World Series till November, you got all December, you got January, you got 10, you got about 12, 13 weeks, about 12, 12 13 shows. Um, and that goes by pretty quick. So I didn't know I was going to do more than a year. I, I am going to continue. I'm glad that Joe D and the MetsmerizedOnline.com community has had me. I've had fun. I've had fun interacting. I hope you'd enjoy it. The feedback has been great. I think if it wasn't any good, I don't think the numbers are what they would be. I don't think the feedback on the site would be what it, what it would be. I know there's been some criticisms of my opinions, but that's what makes this all fun. So um, signing off now. Be back in November. Like I said, if something does transpire, um, we will pop in. We may pop in uh, normally again on a Sunday. If something happens during the week, we certainly are going to wait for the news to, to, to play out and digest itself, and then I'll come in. I like to come in and really give a thorough recap and, and thought process and opinion after all the angles have been studied, not just jump in right away like everybody else. So that's it, guys. The 2016 season is over. That's a wrap. Of course, I want to thank John Delcos. You can check out John on Twitter, at jdelcos. New York Mets Report. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting service you desire. We're all over the place. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. See you after the World Series. Take care, everybody. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.